Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Our podcast is part of the ConcealedCarry.com network brought to you by XS Sites, the fastest site in any light. Today's topic is a topic that many of us think about every time ammo becomes scarce, and that is building ammunition company to sell ammunition. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage offer and the competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off in your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by the Range Tech Shot Timer. A shot timer is a critical tool to measure performance, and no credible firearm instructor hosts a class without one. Range Tech Timer is both the most affordable and most feature-rich shot timer on the market. Connected via Bluetooth to a tablet on the firing line to simplify recording times and sharing them with your students. Range Tech also features Bluetooth integration with practice score and built-in auto scoring based on USPSA, IDPA, multi-gun, or steel challenge scoring schemes. Learn more at rangetechtimer.com. Today, we are joined by Justin Nazaroff from Phoenix Ammunition. Uh, welcome, Justin. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. No problem at all. Before we get into the uh, topic of the day about you know being in the ammunition business, can you give our listeners a little bit about your background and what brought you to uh, found Phoenix Ammunition? Sure. So um, I was actually born and raised here in Novi, Michigan. Um, so after I got out of college and tried to figure out a place to live, ended up right back where I was more or less. And so uh, my background prior to starting Phoenix was uh, actually in finance and insurance. So kind of an odd uh, transition there, but uh, I've got a master's degree in accounting and finance and always enjoyed uh, the numbers and was kind of looking to get out of the career I was in and get into a small business of some sort. I, I really liked manufacturing. The, the company I worked for at the time uh, worked almost exclusively with manufacturing companies. So I really got to envy what they did, uh, just you know, being able to see the pride in their work. So an opportunity came up. My uh, younger brother, Kyle, who I work with, obviously, uh, still to this day, um, was working for a small ammo reloading company, and they ended up going out of business for various reasons. And so we we bought their equipment and decided to try to turn it into a business. So that was uh, kind of during the summer of, of 2016. And by October, we found a building, got all the permits, you know, figured out the business end of things. That was my job. And my brother's job was to make the uh, ammunition. So that was kind of where we are, uh, that, that where that's where we started at least. Well, most people know, and especially when you're in the firearm training, um, you know, the cycles of people that get interested in all during tragedies, pandemic, uh, you know, sure. government unrest. And then when things go good, you know, they tend to kind of dry up and, you know, it's, it's few and far between why, why do you want to get into it? You know, 2016, you know, I know everybody was expecting, you know, the election not to go the way it did, but at the same time, you know, there's a big drought right after that. Sure. So, you know, you can look back in hindsight and say, you know, 
did, did you really think about that when you were getting into the business? And truthfully, the answer is no. I mean, I, I, at the time I knew the industry was on a big upswing, obviously, because I was living it from the consumer end prior, you know, I, uh, I would, I don't know. I'm definitely more of a, of a gun enthusiast now than I was then. I mean, I got my concealed pistol license when I was maybe 23 and carried a gun all the time. I worked in some pretty bad areas of Detroit. Uh, that's where most of the manufacturing companies are that I was representing. So, you know, I was in some areas that were not so great. That's when I decided to, to get into carrying a gun for self-defense, uh, been into martial arts forever. So that was a part of, of, of it as well. So I've always kind of had that martial mindset, but I mean, I was never a hunter. My parents don't hunt, um, never actually been hunting. So, you know, I, I was kind of a different end of the industry. I suppose I was more into AR 15s because that's what you saw in the movies and, uh, they looked cool and then got into self-defense and then, you know, so that I was living that part of the market from a consumer standpoint, seeing how expensive things were. So the business opportunity came up and I thought, okay, well, you know, I don't know if things are going to stay like this forever, but you know, certainly if Hillary wins this election, things are not going to be great. And, you know, I'm concerned from a consumer side, but you know, if there's an opportunity to, you know, keep the industry going and to try to, you know, feed the demand. Well, you know, maybe we can change these politicians' minds a little bit if we can, you know, keep keep the industry going in the right direction. So, um, you know, we got into it, and obviously the election went a different way. And then all of a sudden, you uh, get into 2017, and it's like, boy, where the hell did all the customers go? And we're going to these gun shows, and shh, there's nobody here. We got to figure out what to do. So that's when I started to get really into competitive shooting. I got invited to a three gun match by a friend here in Michigan. And, you know, I, I sort of knew what it was, but really had no idea that that kind of thing even existed. Like you serious, they're going to let you run around with uh, this <laughs> AR and shoot targets at 180 degree plane across this big three-sided berm. Like this is this is insane. This and is then awesome. drop that and get a shotgun and yeah, do the same and, and, thing. <laughs> and then you're going to chuck that thing into a garbage can and you're going to pick up this shotgun and like do all this stuff. This is, this is awesome. Like how does everybody, how is everybody not doing this? Because, you know, and if, so the first time I went, they forced me to shoot and I had no idea what I was doing. And then all of a sudden you realize, damn, this is actually really hard. Like, you know, these guys made it look easy, but I, I could barely hit one you know, six inch steel plate at maybe 25 yards because you're not sitting at this indoor range where it's all, you know, nice temperature controlled and, and lights and everything. Yeah, ex exactly. Right. It, it, so it was, and there's people watching me and I missed the first shot. So now let's like, I got to take a second shot and a third shot. Like this is embarrassing. So, uh, I got, and don't really mess up on, on the, on the reload either. You know, yeah, somebody, exactly right. somebody's going to be there. Yeah. That cost you. Exactly. So, <laughs> So I got really interested in it. I, I, I was like, this is something I really want to do. You know, this is going to become a big hobby of mine for sure. And of course, then you look around, it's like, well, geez, all these guys are shooting like a thousand rounds every weekend. Boy, these are the customers I want. You know, these guys, uh, they, they, they're serious about it. They're like people, you know, who golf four days a week. So uh, we decided to go pretty hard after the competitive shooting market. And so I, I you know, I got into it got my hands dirty and I, I went to a lot of matches, tried to meet as many people as I could. Uh, and I wanted to shoot them myself because I wanted to understand what 
the market needed, you know, and what, what products can we make that it's hard for them to find. Uh, and that way, you know, we can really service uh, what I think is the future of, of firearms training and, and use. Well, that's, uh, that's uh, really cool. I've, I've heard a lot of good things uh, about you guys um, over the last, uh, well, six to nine months. Uh, I'm right down here in Ohio and you're up there in Michigan, but yeah. uh, you definitely are coming on the scene and hearing a lot of good things about it. Um, what kind of volume uh, have you seen over the last uh, four years uh, from when you began to where it is now? Because the one thing I'll lead with is I got that email from you, I think from back in uh, February when I just signed up to be alerted when the nine millimeter ammunition came back in and you went along and sold 300,000 rounds of nine millimeter in 90 seconds to in the average order size was only 500 500 rounds. So it wasn't going out to the wholesale market or anything else like that, but give us an idea where the, where the volume's gone from 16 to 2021 now. Well, you know, I think the first, I, I, I don't even know how many rounds we made in our first year of business, probably, let's see, that would be 2017. Uh, maybe maybe uh, a 2 million at most, and that would probably be a stretch, I would say. 2018, we started to pick up. Uh, we probably did, you know, four to five, maybe uh, same, or maybe, maybe seven to, to eight the year after that. And then we got into the, into the pandemic year and we really kind of picked up steam. We just, the, the demand was insane and, and we had that and competitive shooting and just a lot of things going on. So then it really ran, we, we were getting better equipment along the way as well. That's the thing, you know, we really got, when we got started, I didn't really have a good understanding of how important having really good capital equipment is in this industry Uh, and the stuff is expensive and the better product you want to make, the more you have to invest in automation and quality control and things like that. So, you know, uh, until we got to about 2020, we really would never have had the ability to do that kind of really any kind of volume over a couple of million rounds. Uh, So you, you just hit that hard cap. So we started to get more sophisticated and really understand the process better. And our suppliers were doing the same. So, you know, 2020, we probably jumped up to about, uh, I want to say my, my best guess about 14 and a half to 15 million rounds. Uh, and almost all of that is nine millimeter, two, two, three, a little bit of 40 and 45, a little bit of 10 millimeter, a little bit of 300 blackout, but you know, nine millimeter and, and two, two, three probably account for at least, you know, I would, I would have to guess 80% of the business. I mean, we, we make seven different varieties of nine millimeter. So part of that's because again, we went after the competition market and there's particular products. And then we have the training community who we got really involved with. I really enjoy doing, uh, you know, training with some of these professional companies and there, there's a good margin. Uh, market for frangible ammunition there because you're in shoot houses and you're working up close with uh, steel targets at times. So we just had to make a lot of different stuff, uh, but we narrowed it on a very specific calibers. You know, we hunting really wasn't our market. The volume's not there. And I just don't know enough about it. And and there's just too much variation in the calibers. And, you know, if you talk to like four hunters that shoot with 308, they're all using four different um, cartridges mm-hmm. and they they buy 
20 or 40 a year to cite the thing in and take a couple shots, but you know, that just wasn't our market. So we, we, we shaved down the number of calibers we make when we don't make 380 anymore. We don't do any revolver calibers. Uh, we really pared it down to, uh, the big volume stuff, the competition products that we know we needed to make 10 millimeters, the oddball, you know, 10 millimeter shooters are just crazy, I think. And we make a really, uh, like full, we make a full power, a true 10 millimeter load, you know, it's going really fast and it's pretty heavy and those guys like it. And that caliber's kind of had a big resurgence the last few years. So we, we still do that cause it's fun, but, um, yeah, so the volumes are a little bit less this year, only because the sourcing of components has just been such a problem that it's really hard. It, it would be really hard for us to repeat last year's volume. Simply, we, we've got plenty of capacity. That's not a problem. Uh, the, the will is there as well. Uh, that's not a problem. It's just getting, getting the flow of materials to be regular and sustained it has been a real challenge this year. Yeah. You've got to get your bullets, you know, copper, uh, copper yep. and lead go into those. And then you got the powder and you've got the, uh, uh, primers and yep. all three of those components are difficult to get a hold of at times. You know, I reload yes. myself and, you know, before we started recording, you know, I've got plenty of the bullets, plenty of the powder right now, and I'm still searching a lot for the primers and of course, brass, um, you know, uh, Brand new brass is tough to come by, but you can also find plenty of brass at ranges and different things like sure. that if you're willing to put the time in to clean them up. But how do you go along and and find those uh, sources for those materials? Because uh, you know, I would I would venture to say you've got your own recipe for your ammunition, and you want to have mm -hmm. you know reliable primers that you know that you used last month and month before that. You're not changing brands constantly, and same thing with powder and everything. How do you how do you try to manage that? I mean, it is a challenge and, and when things get scarce, uh, you know, often you're just worried about finding anything, let alone trying to get uh, the best. But we, we really pride ourselves on the quality of the components we use. We've never been the cheapest, um, but, and we know competitive shooters are very particular about what they want. And so, you know, we, we tried to stay away from getting too out of the bounds of our comfort level as far as primers, you know, especially right now during the, the, the craziness we've seen, there's a lot of primers coming in from overseas that, you know, they look good, but we just don't know. We, we know what's good. And then we have this kind of relative unknown that, you know, you have to decide whether you're going to take that chance or not. And so we try to avoid that as much as we can. And, you know, so that, that creates another challenge in that if you can't find exactly what you want, then you have to plan for having to, you know, have some downtime, unfortunately. So there were times even last year, as crazy as things were, where, you know, we had like a day where we couldn't get anything done because the primer delivery was a day late and we were out of primers. And so we got guys standing around doing nothing. And so you kind of got to plan for you know, having the cash flow to be able to do that. And then if you get a good deal that comes up, you got to be able to pull the trigger and buy a whole truckload of brass at once. So, you know, we, we have a really good brass processor um, here close to us that we do a lot of business with and we trust them uh, and they've really helped uh, build our business and we've helped build theirs. Uh, the bullets, we get all 
mainly from berries. Uh, they're out in Utah and, and they've been pretty good to us. You know, it, it's been a struggle at times and, you know, there are days where you feel like you're barking at everybody on the phone, but you know, then eventually they come through and, you know, you make sure you pay that bill the minute it gets there because you want to make sure that you keep those. It's, it's a relationship industry. There's, mm-hmm. I would say this industry is one that has a lot of, um, people, it takes a long time for people to trust you. And unfortunately there's also a lot of mistrust in the industry. So it's kind of, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg. So you, you really have to maintain those relationships and, you know, when they're struggling, you got to give them a bit of slack. Uh, you can't be calling them every day and, and barking at them because there's no primers. Like they know there's no primers. They're doing everything they can. Um, and you hope that when things get better, you know, they'll help you out with pricing or they'll, they'll get you the, an extra box of this when maybe you shouldn't. So you, you just hope to maintain those relationships as best you can. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's definitely. And, uh, you see that with, uh, firearm training is uh, a lot too, because the ranges you got to have a relationship with, um, you, your students, you have a relationship with, and if you don't have a good relationship, you know, Rangers don't want you around if they don't trust you if, and everything. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of relationships, uh, definitely that, that, um, in the firearm industry to a community as a whole, that uh, you've got to make sure that you maintain and also make sure that you live up to the expectations too. Right. I mean, it, it, you know, I love the industry because it, there, there's so many different angles, but we, we can never lose sight that, I mean, this really is a serious business. Um, I love, I love firearms training. I, I was training uh, Saturday and Sunday this weekend and, you know, MDFI up here in Michigan has probably the best safety briefing of any training company that you'll ever work with. And they do that because the, you know, this is trust-based, like you need to trust that the guy standing on the line next to you isn't going to point a gun at you when he shouldn't mistakenly, or I should say negligently. So you just have to have that level of trust. And the minute that it's broken, you know, he's, he says it in every safety briefing. He says, you know, if I ever muzzle a student in my own class, that is the day that I hand over my resignation letter to the guys, to, to my uh, trainers. And I tell them, this is your company now, because I, I can never tell anybody that they did something wrong. If I, you know, if I, if I point a gun at a student in class, I can never criticize them for doing the same thing because I did it first. And Mm -hmm. at that point, you've got an unsafe environment and that means I'm, I'm shutting the company down and you know, you hope that other people take it as seriously because you know, it's a, it's a, once you violate that trust, it's very hard to get it back. And unfortunately there's also a lot of, you know, ignorance from the student's perspective where, you know, you go to a class and there's a bunch of unsafe stuff going on and, and people are like, well, I, I didn't know that that was a problem. Like I, I didn't realize that that was, this is my first training class. So I just thought that's the way it was. And it's like, boy, you really got to know who you're training with. And so it's just a trust-based industry all around. Yeah. Well, as I go along and tell, um, you know, the instructors I teach and the students I teach, it's hundred percent. It's not a 99.99 yep. and you're good. You know, something along, along uh, those lines. It's a 100%, you know, muzzle, 100%, you know, finger off the trigger, all those types of things. Because if you, if it's at one in a million time, 
guess what? The bullet's going to do the same thing it always does. And it's going to go down that that's barrel right. and hit whatever's in front of it. And that's where, you know, you hope you're not, it's not, not a person or something you're not willing to destroy, but it's one of those things where, you, you know, if you, if you did one in a one in a hundred thousand and you were manufacturing a car, you'd be like, wow, this is, you know, I'm really good. But one in a hundred thousand, you know, if you shoot a lot, somebody's going to end up hurting either you or somebody around you. And those are the things that it's uh, 100%. It's not a 99% game. Yeah. And I mean, that's that, you know, that that's why I take what I do very seriously. And that that's why, you know, we try to use the best possible components that we can. Mm -hmm. We're really putting a lot of money into modernizing and automating our process and trying to make it as precise as possible. Because like you said, you know, or, as I said earlier, we made say say we make ten million rounds in a year, and our defect rate is one per million. You know there are there are um, plenty of industries where they can hold you know one defect to two million parts in you know fasteners and automotive parts things like that, and that's great. But you think about it if if we if we make one bad round out of a million, that means we made ten bad rounds, and you know. Is that the round that somebody needs when their life depends on it? Is that the round that's going to go click when it should go bang? And then uh, somebody loses their life or, you know, somebody close to them gets hurt or killed because our product failed. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if I could live with that. That would be the day when I'll shut my company down. And so we just can never lose sight of it. Like it's a, it's a great fun industry. I love, I love every part of it. You know, I, I, I came for the ammo and stayed for the means and, uh, but you, you, you have to take it seriously when you need to take it seriously. Yeah, definitely. Well, talking about some serious things, what kind of licenses does it take to be a ammunition manufacturer? Cause obviously I know as a home reloader that I Mm -hmm. should not, cannot, you know, legally sell my ammunition. I'm reloading no matter who it is, um, right. just because of federal law, but what kind of licenses, uh, does it require in order to manufacture licenses and be able to sell it? Sure. Yeah. So basically to manufacture and, and sell ammunition, you need what's called an, a 06 federal firearms license, a type six. Uh, there's many different types. Uh, we actually have a type seven license as well. Uh, that allows us to manufacture firearms and firearm components. Uh, we also have an SOT license, uh, which is special occupational tax. Uh, and that allows us to manufacture, uh, fully automatic weapons and suppressors. You might ask, why do we have those? Well, we have firearms we use for testing and development and, you know, we want to be able to use everything that's available for the modern market. So, uh, we, we do make things that are, uh, sub, you know, subsonic ammo or 300 blackout, for example, got to have suppressors, got to have short barrel stuff. You, you got to know what the market's using, uh, what the consumer's using to make the right kind of product. So we've got, and we also have an 08 license. That's an importer's license. Uh, so in total, we have, uh, three federal firearms licenses and one special occupational tax license, uh, for a total of four. The 08 license allows us to import ammunition parts or ammunition or firearms uh, from foreign countries. Again, with you know the idea of being able to source components overseas, it, it became something that we thought we, we needed. Uh, we also have an ITAR license. So um, a lot of people in the industry think that you only need an ITAR license if you're doing business overseas, but that's not true. 
Um, anybody in the firearm or ammunition industry has to be ITAR, International Trafficking and Arms Regulation, uh, registered. Uh, many of them aren't, uh, and they sort of fly under the radar, but um, that is another thing that we're required to have. Uh, and it does allow us to do business overseas should we, should we choose to do that. Not really something that we're interested in pursuing, but we had to have it anyway. So mm-hmm. um, those are the big federal licenses. You know, um, really, other than that, it's, it's, not, it's not too bad. It's a lot of paperwork. Um, you know, we don't need an explosives license, which would require a lot as far as, um, you know, safety measures and the design of the facility. Uh, but even though primers in particular are classified as, a, as an explosive, they're not a primary explosive like, um, you know, dynamite or C4 mm-hmm. or blasting caps. So we don't have to have an explosives license, which is a good thing because that would be uh, tough. That would be tough to, to have to, to do. Definitely. Well, hey, um, <laughs> this will be kind of interesting. If anybody's uh, followed along with us and gone out there and clicked uh, phoenixammo.com, they know that there is a uh, question on your website. Uh, the first thing that yes. comes up all the time, and uh, I was kidding you before we recorded that it took me several times to answer the question right. But can you go along and uh, tell us, uh, tell the community why you've got the question about um, who about the election, uh, twenty twenty election, who the, who they uh, voted for on your website there? Sure. So um, I, I will I will have to to correct you a tiny bit. It, we're not actually asking who people voted for. All we're asking is if they voted for one particular person. So I want to make that clear. Okay, that is uh, true. That is true. You know, uh, if you voted Libertarian, if you voted whatever, uh, Green Party, you voted. I mean, to be honest, I could care less about that. But Joe Biden specifically ran on a platform that includes very restrictive gun control measures. I mean, I, I, I'm a about as close to a 2A absolutist as you'll talk to. So I think everything is an infringement, uh, to be honest with you. But certainly the things that he has ran on in his platform, talked about in all the debates, etc., uh, he wants to ban AR-15s, 100%. He wants to ban, um, you know, a whole basically the entire classification of semi-automatic rifles. Uh, and I think he wouldn't stop at that. Obviously, magazine limits, like all kinds of things. So regardless of what you think of Donald Trump, and obviously there was a lot that he did for the gun industry on the negative side. I mean, you know, everybody just has to be honest in that regard. He wasn't Mm -hmm. great for the gun industry uh, for a lot of reasons. However, that's not what his platform was about. Joe Biden's platform is specifically about these things, and it's right on his website. So we just wanted people to understand, hey, you know, there's a lot of new gun owners that got into the community during the pandemic because you know even democrats get scared when people are lighting buildings on fire and throwing bricks through windows but you guys got to understand now just because you own a gun doesn't mean you're part of the community if you're voting against our interests you're not part of the community i'm sorry i just that's the that's what i believe you you cannot invite the wolves in for dinner uh knowingly so we have to let these people know that you know, you can't vote for these Democrat politicians anymore. You just can't. If you're going to, if you're going to be part of the community, we can't dilute the principles of the community, which is that firearms are for the defense of your 
self, your home, and if necessary, your country against a tyrannical government. That's exactly what it's for. And we can't pretend it's about anything else. Yep. So I, I put the disclaimer on the site. I said, did you vote for Joe Biden? If you say no, it allows you to proceed into the site. If you click yes, it redirects you to JoeBiden.com where you can read his gun control plan. And I thought to myself, this is a public service message. Number one, you know, I'm risking turning away good customers. So it's only my fault. Like nobody can be mad at me if I do this. I'm imposing it upon myself. But also, you know, if they legitimately didn't know what his platform was about, now they're going to see it. They're going to have to read it. And if they want to come back to the website, then, uh, you know, if they were to click no and think that they're like fooling me, okay, fine. Like, I'll take your money anyway. That's, that's fine. But at least I got you to read it. And if you want to remain ignorant at that point, then I can't help you. You know, there's nobody that can help you. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, to your point, it's been up there for what, almost eight months, I think, yep. uh, for it. And, uh, you see some of the policies pursuit, uh, and the people that he's nominated for different cabinet positions and yeah. you know, with, uh, David that'll Chip. have a lot of power. Uh, um, then you go along and you've, you've got to be scared because it's in my mind, it's not that they're going to take away something immediately, but it's going to go along and take the fight to where instead of, uh, focusing on, uh, trying to, you know, combat criminals you know, true criminals, you're going to be going along fighting to try to go along and, and turn back laws that make make us into criminals because we own a AR because we own a, you know, certain size magazine, those, those types of things. So exactly. You know, they, they, uh, Biden's talking about, you know, his, uh, gun shop task force and all this stuff. And you know what that's going to be. You're going to, in a, in a couple of months, you're going to see a big headline where, uh, and the headline's going to say, you know, gun store, cited with 576 violations, uh, you know, by the ATF, uh, in their bound book. And it's going to be stuff like, you know, they forgot to cross a T literally, um, you know, they forgot to write the middle initial, uh, on one form and they're going to cite all those as violations. And then they're going to make it seem as if that gun shop sold 650 firearms with no background check and no paperwork to, to a bunch of that, felons that are, yeah. cash only in the parking lot. And it's just going to be a big media narrative instead of really focusing on, you know, how the guns are a getting stolen, uh, which is a big, you know, pipeline for guns getting into the hands of criminals. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's, let's focus on, Instead, no, we'll, we'll make a big scene and, and shut down a couple of gun stores and make it sound as if we're doing it. And then pat, the pat crime rate won't on the back change. And, yep. and then, then, then they'll say, well, that didn't work. So we got to do something else. It's just same thing that happens with the gun laws. You know, when, the, when, when they ban something and it, crime rates stay the same, we never get it back. They just find something else to ban. They're never willing to admit that it didn't have to do with the equipment. It has to do with the person. Yep. They, they, we just need one little more and I'll take care of it all. That's, that's how that goes. Well, Hey, Justin, I got a question for you. Cause I think, uh, this is uh, kind of neat. You do a lot of community support up there in, um, uh, Detroit area and everything. Yeah, we do. Give a little bit of uh, background on maybe some of the stuff you do. And if somebody's interested, how they can get a uh, hold of you to support their events and different things like that. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're big into the gun community activism in a number of different ways. You know, we sponsored, uh, uh, a 3d printed gun competition. Uh, we're a sponsor of, uh, Maj and black guns matter. We give to the firearms policy coalition up here in Michigan. Uh, we work pretty closely with Rick Actor and his program, uh, legally armed in Detroit. Uh, we're getting ready for their annual women's shoot here at the end of August. We donated 50,000 rounds. Um, so in a two day, in two days at two different gun stores at the same time, um, we're probably going to train something like 16 to 1800 women on basic firearm instruction, um, over, over that period of time. It's an amazing program and, uh, you know, we're really happy to be a part of it. And, and we like, we like to do things like that. We, we, we really want to, we, we want to normalize gun ownership, but uh, you know, it, it should be normal to possess the tools to defend your life. Like, like that should be a normal thing. You should want to live and be able mm-hmm. to preserve that. So exactly. yeah, if there are organizations that are doing similar things in their area, obviously, you know, we try to focus our efforts where we live and, and where we work and, and um, where we shop, you know, here in Michigan and in the Detroit area. But if there are people around the country that have similar programs, we, we'd love to help. They can get in touch with me directly. Um, there's a contact form on our website. Uh, and then the email address for that is simply sales at phoenixammo.com. Um, that's for, you know, basic sales inquiries, but it, I, I personally read those. And if there is an event that you're looking to put on and you need a, an ammo sponsor, or there's a, a, some other way that we can help you, you want to get connected with some of the people that we know, uh, and, and see if they'll help support your event as well. Uh, we, we'd be more than happy to do that. Great. I, I hope there's, uh, no, there's a lot of good uh, programs out there. We've had Rick Ector on the, on the podcast before and other yeah. people that are doing, uh, doing good outreach programs to educate people, of not only their rights, but also their responsibility when it comes to guns, because, uh, Absolutely. yes, we've all got that right, but we also, you know, got to understand there's a great responsibility that comes with, uh, you know, owning and uh, using a firearm. 100%. Right. Well, hey, Justin, uh, one question we've been asking all our instructors this year. Do you have a book or an instructor that you would recommend that other instructors uh, search out to uh, improve themselves in some area? Sure. Yeah, I would say on the instructor side, um, I, I was talking about them a little bit earlier. Uh, uh, Eric uh, Trek is his, his name, uh, Trek at MDFI, Michigan Defensive Firearms Institute. I think he's one of the best firearms instructors in the country, it just in the way that he, he's a, he's a true educator. I think he's, uh, he's got a really good program going on and that there are other trainers or people who are looking to get into the firearms training industry. I would, I would highly recommend coming up here and uh, taking some classes with them. I've taken every class they offer and, and then some, and I've, I've trained with a lot of other companies around the country and, and I've, I've enjoyed all of them, but I, I particularly enjoy uh, track and uh, what he's doing with MDFI on the book side, boy, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I do a, quite a bit of reading, so I'd say there's probably two I would recommend one from a philosophical standpoint and another from uh, the industry standpoint. So, uh, I would say from the industry standpoint, there's a book called the founders second amendment. And 
uh, it's basically, or the, I'm sorry, the founder's view of the Second Amendment. And it's a, it's a collection of quotes and stories, uh, basically going through the history of how the founders decided that the Second Amendment was a good idea. And it really gives you an understanding of their thought process and what was going through their heads at the time. And uh, I think if everybody read that book, we'd have a lot less arguments about what the true interpretation of the Second Amendment should be. And then um, on the philosophical side, I would recommend The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, a very interesting book about morals, ethics, the way societies are put together. And uh, it's sort of a dystopian future novel. And I particularly enjoy that that genre so if you like 1984 you'll really like the moon is a harsh mistress that yep i will have to look that up um i read 1984 back in uh late 70s and it was uh oh, kind sure. of it was uh you know very very you know we'll never get to that point but there have been some of those things that have come come around and uh the founders view of the second amendment and the thing that's amazing about that was people worried about, you know, crime. They were worried about, you know, the government, you know, going along, taking things from them. And you look at in today's world where we have, you know, crime, you know, in 2021, we've seen crime spike in almost every major metropolitan area and outlying areas. And we've also got even more government mandates about you have to do this, have to do this. And, uh, I don't, I, I found a lot of uh, parallels, uh, to say the least, even though we're not, we're not using muskets, but a lot of parallels government wise and what people were worried about back then yep. and what we're worried about today. I couldn't agree with you more. Good books. Well, where can ins- instructors find more out about, uh, Justin and, uh, Phoenix, uh, ammo. Sure. You can find us on our website, obviously, uh, Phoenix And you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, that is our only official social media. There's a couple of uh, spam accounts that have popped up on Facebook or Instagram, but those are not us. Uh, we are only only operating out of Twitter right now and, until they shut us down. Um, so those are the two main places. And then obviously, uh, you know, we, we'd love to see you out. I, I personally do a lot of competitive shooting and training here in Michigan. So if you're ever taking a class with MDFI or you're sh- out shooting USPSA or IDPA, um, or, or you're planning on coming up to Michigan on a vacation and, and want to do any of those things, uh, maybe we'll, I'll see you out there. Great. Super. Well, thanks for your time tonight, Justin. And uh, we look forward to hopefully seeing you on the range sometime. Yeah, my pleasure. That's a wrap for this episode. We want to announce this week's prize winner. This week's winner is Greg S. And they want a digital download of the vehicle fighting tactics. Next week's podcast prize giveaway is a $50 gift card to SSP Eyewear. Visit podcast.concealedcarry.com to enter in our weekly prize giveaway. Remember, you can't win without entering, and your entries do not carry over from week to week. I want to ask you, share our podcast on your social media to help other trainers receive this great information. Remember, check out our website where you can search for various topics from marketing and instructor training at firearmstrainerpodcast.com, and you can also leave us a comment on each episode. If you have any ideas for new episodes, suggestions on guests to have, or feedback, please email us at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com, and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. 
Remember, use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Thanks for listening, and stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.